On this episode of With Maze and Mal, we talk about Maisie's grand entrance into the world. Maisie doesn't remember a lot of when she was a baby, obviously. So I'm here, Mallory, to help fill in some of the gaps. Well, we did have a really different experience in our community, so we'll talk some about that as well. On the last episode, we talked about how we discovered our diagnosis of MID, microvillus inclusion disease. So we knew what to look for when Maisie came. We are not medical professionals, just as a reminder. We are just here to tell our story. Please always consult with your provider before making any changes to your care, and thanks for listening. So Maisie, I know that you don't remember a lot. Um, and of course, you know, this was a, a pretty long time ago, but do you wanna just get us started with sharing a little bit about your journey and then I can fill in gaps where needed? Sure, definitely. I feel like there's going to be quite a few gaps. I don't, it's interesting because I don't really remember a lot of the medical side of things, which I guess is is probably okay. Um, so I am probably going to talk more about like my experience with classmates and teachers and um, extracurriculars and just sort of how I think mom went from a very chill baby to a very energetic baby. <laughs> um, so yeah, I remember running around a lot. I remember being like a wicked social butterfly. Like everywhere we went, I was just like climbing on people and like hugging people. Um, I remember, I was telling Mal before this, I remember I had a little like Fisher Price kitchen in our kitchen. And I remember spending a good majority of my time there. Um, I remember, well, I only, <laughs> this is kind of a fun tidbit. I only used to eat like five foods when I was little. Like I used to live off of Campbell's chicken noodle soup, um, boiled eggs, but I would only eat the yolk um, with salt and it had to be mashed up like with a fork. And I would eat A1 steak sauce out of a bowl. So I think I was craving sodium a little bit. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I remember very sort of frivolous things about my childhood, but Mal, you probably remember more about like my actual like infancy and babyhood. Yeah. It's so funny you say that about the things that you ate, because I know that we've seen in the MID group, a lot of common themes where kids like salty or spicy, um, different foods and another thing that you used to eat all the time was popcorn and I remember that basically anything that was a vehicle for salt and I know we still both really like salt but I remember I would come home from school and the house would always smell like rank like stale popcorn and that's like just a weird thing that I remember also but you also used to eat um you would eat a1 steak sauce but you would eat it with a carrot no, mom made me eat it with a carrot. Oh. Yeah, she was like, you can't just eat it with a spoon. You have to eat it on something. And I was like, no. So then I used the carrot as a spoon. <laughs> and then the carrot just eventually went away because yeah. we were just wasting carrots left and right. So that's a weird, a weird story. Um, 
So yeah, I very vividly remember the day that you were born. And it's funny because you, you were born and it was like 10 o'clock ish in the morning and Nana and or Grammy came to wake me up. And I was supposed to spend the day with Nana and we were going to go to the movies and see Snow White and I was going to get my hair done and maybe we were going to go bowling. I can't remember, but you were born and they came in to wake me up and they were like, your mom had the baby, mom had the baby. And I literally like looked at them and then rolled over and like went back to sleep. And then my biggest concern was whether or not we were still going to be able to go about our day as planned, which we did. Um, and I got my hair done like my American Girl doll, Samantha. And then we went to the hospital to see baby Maisie and we saw her and she, I went to like, I don't know, you don't pet babies, but I went to like say hi, I don't know, as a big sister. And she took my finger and squeezed it. And that was one of my favorite moments of my whole life. So um, it was, it was pretty cool. And you were, you were diagnosed a little bit later than I was. And things were, were pretty different for you. You ate longer. Um, you definitely ate more when you were younger. And I know we talked about in my episode that the doctors told mom to not feed me, um, because they thought that was really what was making me sick. And when you were born, mom was, had sort of gotten, you know, a stronger voice in the medical world. And she was determined to not stop feeding you. And, you know, in the land of maternal child health, we talk a lot about, you know, the importance of breastfeeding for many, many reasons. And mom continued to breastfeed you well into like the time when you could like literally ask for it. Um, but I think that made a huge difference in your absorption and the severity of your condition um, as you got older. So I think that's a critical component. And I've talked with some, you know, medical providers who specialize in MID and TPN about the importance of eating um, and food, even though you're on TPN, and if you're able to eat, kind of the importance of that. So that's something we'll probably revisit uh, as we go on in these episodes. But I think that's one of the reasons that you, you're, I don't want to say you were healthier. Um, but I think over the years, your, your MID has been less severe. So what else when you were little, um, you cried all the time mm -hmm. uh, for like two years, you didn't sleep. And mom used to sleep, you know, during the day when we had support and nurses and, and help. And I just remember people walking, walking the house with you while you cried. Didn't they used to drive around with me too? Yeah. You would go for drives and try all the things and you got pretty, you were pretty sick before they diagnosed you. And I remember various things. Um, at one point you had what they call an NG tube, which is a tube that goes down your nose into your stomach, trying to kind of feed you that way. 
And I just remember as a little eight-year-old, like watching you go through all of this and just being like, I already know like how all this goes. Like if I could just do all this instead of her, because it just like broke my heart to like watch you go through all this, even like just as a little kid. Um, and that was pretty, I guess in hindsight, a little bit traumatic, but also just really frustrating for me to watch as your big sister. And I just wanted to make everything better. Cool. And I think like we had talked about this um, with other MID folks at one point, like I don't remember any of my hospital trips with any sort of um, not spite, but like anger towards mom or dad, like any of that. So I know it can be really hard on kids, but I remember when I was in the children's hospital in Maine, the playroom was really cool and they had these like sets that you could bring back there was like a pirate ship and like a farm or something or like a jungle and you could like bring you could sign those out and bring them back to your hospital room i remember always getting a stuffed animal after surgery i like i don't remember my childhood with any sort of like disdain you know so even though it was like really awful um at times i that's not that's not what stands out in my memory, which is, I think, kind of kind of crazy how the brain is like, nope, we're just not going to remember that. <laughs> but the other, I had um, an allergic reaction to, was it an antibiotic? Uh, it's an antibiotic. Oh, okay. It might have been for, you used to get a lot of ear infections. And that was another thing. At one point, you had, two, you had the tubes put in your ears. So it might have been because of that that you were on the antibiotic. Mm-hmm. And that made my liver fail. So I got super jaundice. And I, is that when I was itchy too? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's all the crappy stuff that I don't remember. Um, I remember, basically, I remember like the fun stuff. I remember from when I was like seven and up. Like that's, I know that's really weird, but like I don't, I don't remember like being a baby. <laughs> Which is so strange. No, I, I don't think anyone does. And like you said, when you were itchy, I remember you were so tiny and we had to put little stockies on your hands because you would just scratch your ears until they bled and it was really awful. Um, but when you were talking about what you remember about the hospital, I have really similar memories. And of course, I remember some of the procedures and my surgeries and things like that. But at the same children's hospital, I remember it was the only time we got the Disney channel. And so there were shows that I could only watch when I was in the hospital and everyone was just so nice. The nurses station was, I mean, they, everyone loved us and they were, you know, our community and the playroom ladies were wonderful. And even when I was older, as a teenager, I would start, you know, if I had a line infection or things, you know, were happening, I would start at our local hospital that was a little bit closer, but eventually I would get transferred to that other bigger hospital. And it was just this sense of comfort that like, okay, these people know me, you know, they would say like, welcome back. You know, we got this, we, we kind of know the drill. And that's where our, our surgeons were who would replace our lines and you know, and really, um, that was where we got specialty care. So they, they really did know us. And 
I think that really speaks to our family dynamic. Um, when I was in the, in the hospital, when I was in high school, we would have visitors and we would sit in like the atrium and play games. And I remember we would like get in trouble for like laughing so hard. And, you know, we always made the most of things. And I think that, you know, again, is just how we get through every day by finding, finding the good and making things fun and being able to laugh. And I think we, we still do that. Definitely, definitely. And like, I remember they had the video game cart and we used to wheel that in and that was like a treat. Like, I remember it, like you were saying, we used to start at the little, the little hospital. And um, I used to ask, I was like, are we going, are we going to the one in Portland? Can we go to that one? And mom's like, that's not how it works, but I'm glad you like it there. <laughs> so yeah. And then, so when I used to get fevers, when I used to get really, really sick, um, I used to get really hyper and like I remember one night I had I think I had a fever and I was like jumping on your bed or something like I just used to get so hyper but mom and dad discovered um, spiral tubing when I was born I think I was when did we discover that when I was like five or something you were yeah probably around there you were very very active and I one thing we always used to joke about, maybe this is terrible, I don't know, but we always used to think it was awful when parents would have like those little backpacks that kids wore with like a leash attached to it at like the mall or like Disney World. We thought those were like a really horrible thing. And then you came along and we were like, oh, we get it. It <laughs> all makes sense now. What a great invention. Yeah. So I was always like, just running around and like super hyper so when we found um the so the spiral tubing is basically just an extension that um connects to the tubing that we get hooked up to when we get hooked up to infuse our tpn and it's basically like an old phone cord so it's spirally and it stretches god probably like five or six feet i think so I could literally like do cartwheels and like run around and jump on the bed. And there was very, I mean, the risk was still there, but there was so much less risk of me like pulling my line out or tripping or tripping Mallory or <laughs> anything like that. So um, I still use that to this day and it's super, super convenient. But I remember mom and dad just thinking that was like God's gift to them. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't really know. I remember um, you going to camp, which I'm, we'll talk about at some point. Um, I remember you, I always wanted to do everything you did. So like I had, oh, remember my invisible friends? Yes, they were, they were named after my friends. They were, which I'm yeah. sure is super <laughs> healthy, very safe and good. Um, yeah, I used to, I, <laughs> It sounds like I didn't have a lot of friends. I did have a lot of friends for most of my childhood, um, but I just wanted to be and do everything Mallory was and did. Um, so yeah, there was that. We used to play the most intense Barbie games. Um, I remember, I don't know, like regular kids stuff. Like I used to go out in the woods and get like berries and leaves and like water from puddles and make potions. And um, I don't know, I don't really remember. Like I. I remember kid stuff, you know? We did all all the things. We had such an amazing childhood. And 
even though I guess we are what people would consider medically fragile, like mom and dad always allowed us to do, to do things and to take risks. I used to ride my bike. It felt like all the time. It might've been like a year or two, but I would ride my bike to the school with my friends on my own all the time, like all the time. And we had a swing set in our backyard. And it's funny you say that, Maisie, about wanting to do everything I did because I wanted to do everything that you did. <laughs> and, you know, you can talk about some of the, the hobbies that you did um, when you were little, but I remember when you did gymnastics, I would go and watch and I so funny because mom was actually so laid back and I feel like I was the dance mom because you were just so good and you still are good at everything you do. Oh God. Literally, literally everything that you do, you are so good at. And I remember, this is one of my favorite memories. We both took dance and I, oh, I, know, what you're gonna, I know what you're going to talk about. I had to make up some classes because I had, oh, I broke my leg in high school, which is a wonderful story that we'll tell at a later time. Um, so when we were, when my classes were preparing for the recital, I would just sit there and watch so that I could learn, but I had a broken leg. And so to make up some of my classes, I would help with the little kids and help with Maisie's class. So Maisie at this time took gymnastics. She was probably four. You were probably like four or five. And so she took gymnastics. She was super, like she could do a perfect cartwheel, perfect round off, all those things. So I'm in her dance class and they're doing like exercises across the floor or whatever. And the teacher was like, okay, now you're going to do a cartwheel. <laughs> and so the kids at this point in their dance life, to do a cartwheel, they would put their hands on the floor and just sort of like jump to the side. And like that was doing a cartwheel. I'm dying. So, oh my God. So it got to be Maisie's turn. And Maisie, watching all of her classmates, put her hands on the ground and jumped to the side. And me, knowing the full ability of Maisie's gymnastics, you know, career. Um, I said, I went to the teacher and I said, can you give me one second to talk to Maisie real quick? And she was like, sure. So I take little Maisie and her little, you know, leotard aside and I go, okay, Maze, they're doing cartwheels. You can do a perfect cartwheel. You need to do that at this time and show the teacher that you know how to do it. And Maisie was like, oh, okay. So they go back and I go and I said to the teacher, can you do, can you do that one more, one more time? Like just do another round. So she does another round and the little kids put their hands on the ground and jump to the side, you know, across the floor. And then it gets to be Maisie's turn and she stands up and she has her gymnastics pose and she does a perfect cartwheel. And the teacher just looks at me and just starts laughing and I was like, see, I told you. But Maisie thought that she had to do a cartwheel the way the other kids were doing it, even though that wasn't the way to do it. And she could do a perfect cartwheel. So that's one of my favorite stories because it just cracks me up that you were like, oh yeah, I can totally do a perfect cartwheel, but 
you know, I'm going to do it the same way everyone else does just because I, I feel like that's what I have to do. Um, Advocating for me from day one, seriously. So funny. Yeah. So I like mom and dad were amazing at letting me try everything. Um, I did, oh my God, I did soccer. I did softball. I did gymnastics. I did dance. I did dance and gymnastics for a long time. Um, I was very bad at soccer. I did cartwheels in the field consistently. Um, softball, I, I don't know why I did softball. I just had to check it off the list. Um, but when I went to summer camp, um, we, there was a horse barn and they went on trail rides. And I remember I was probably like seven and every afternoon we signed up for what activity we wanted to do. And I did horse barn as many days as they would let me, because I was like, I, I am obsessed with this now. Like, and it got to the point where my counselors were like, there was like a limited number of kids they could take obviously. And I was like, I want to go to the horse barn. And they were like, no, <laughs> you need to give other kids a turn. And I was like, no. So then mom came to pick me up and I was like, I need to ride horses all the time. So I remember they found a barn down the road from our house and you had my first riding lesson. You went to a Bewitched concert and I was like, this better not interfere with my riding lesson. And basically our whole relationship for a lot of years was just making sure we didn't interfere with each other's plans. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I rode this big old horse named Gina for many, many years. Um, and then I just didn't stop. So I've been riding horses now for about, oh my God, 20 years. I've been riding for 20 years. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so like that was a really big part of my life. Dance stayed with me all through college and even after. Um, gymnastics, not so much. I am not flexible and I don't bounce anymore. So that's a problem. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of what I remember. Like I remember the hobbies. I remember being really invested in school and extracurriculars and just wanting to like do everything and do it really well, um, which is still, still true. So on our last episode, we talked about some of our champions and we started talking about the nurses that that I had when I was very young that really started paving the way. And I know that in our home, there were other champions that came along when you were around that really were in your corner as well. So do you want to get into that? Yeah, sure. So we had, when I was little, the two nurses that I had were, one was Joanne, who we had for decades, literal decades. Um, and she was like a second grandma to me. Um, and she, I'm, I'm sure, went above and beyond what she was supposed to do. Um, she brought me to writing lessons. She brought me to rehearsals. She picked me up from school. Like she was like the best nurse anyone could ask for. Like I said, she was like a second grandma. Um, and then another one who sticks out in my head is Cheryl. I hope she listens to this cause we're Facebook friends too. Um, she was able to like meet my energy level, but she was a grown up. 
So like a grown up with as much energy and animation as me was like mind boggling. And we used to like go sleep over her house and I used to play with her daughter's Polly Pockets and we used to like, they had, um, they had, I always remember video games wherever I went. Cause I guess like, we don't, I don't know. We had video games. It wasn't like this weird thing, but they had Sega. Like that must've been why. <laughs> Cause we didn't have, I think they had Sega in the hospital too. They must've, um, yeah. So those were my two, like, I mean, we had quite a few, we had a couple other nurses, um, that were absolutely awesome, but those were the two that like were part of our family. So yeah. And when you were little, Cheryl and Joanne were, I mean, they were just the backbone. Like it was so hard for mom to keep up with everything and with you not sleeping, she wasn't sleeping. And like I said, you know, people would just walk, you know, with you or go for drives or, and I mean, Cheryl and Joanne, like they knew you since you were born and, you know, Cheryl is still in our lives. And, you know, Joanne actually passed away the literally the same week as Grammy, our, our mom's mom. And we say, you know, Joanne and Grammy were, were pretty good friends, I think. And they spent a lot of time together and so it was it was very wild that they left this world at the same time. And I hope, you know, we would say that they were drinking tea together on on a porch somewhere. So it yeah. was so wild. Um, but you know, from from a policy perspective, as somebody who now has experience working in long-term care, um, which is what we would fall under as young people who needed that level of, of in-home nursing. The fact that we had the same nurses in our home eight hours a day for 20 some odd years is literally unheard of. It's yeah. unheard of. And the fact that they just connected with our family the way that they did. And I, I think both of them would switch agencies if something changed with our insurance where they couldn't come see us anymore or their current company wouldn't be covered they would change employers that's bananas who stay with us and i know there were you know there were a lot of things that were, we were probably you know loopholes or whatever to make that work but they would literally jump through flaming hoops to stay with us because that that continuity of care they they were our family mm -hmm. and i think that part too was knowing that we had caregivers that we trusted i mean joanne joanne was there i mean when i moved out and lived in another town joanne would come to my home my apartment and help me with my medical tasks and check in and just be like, Hey, how's it going? Haven't seen you, you know, in a while. And that was one of the reasons that I was able to live independently. And when I tried to find nurses on my own, I, I physically couldn't do it because they're, they just didn't want the, the small amount of help that I needed. They wanted either, you know, eight hour days and here I am, I just need help with a couple of things and nobody wanted that. Or they would say they could do it and then they would go back to the agency and say something totally different. And 
you know, it was just such a nightmare trying to find somebody when we had these caregivers that just knew exactly what I needed. I knew I could trust them to do it safely because so often, you know, we bring in new people and they just don't have the same level of sterile technique that we do. It was just, you know, when you, when you have these relationships built, it's really hard to add someone new to the mix. And we'll talk more about that when we get to kind of that transition to adulthood and living independently piece and the choices that were made, you know, to, to not have nursing help. But I think another part of that is after having Joanne and Cheryl for so many years, you can't have anybody else. Yeah. Like you just That's, can't. They set the bar too high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remembered in our house, we had um, a whole medical closet. Like I think dad built um, like a counter space with two hooks for our IV bags, shelves for all of our medical supplies, drawers for all of our medical supplies. And Joanne, and I'm sure Cheryl did this too, um, had to do like weekly inventory of all of our supplies. And when I started taking over my own care, I was like, I'm, there's no, you want me to do that? Mm-mm. And like she spent, I, she would spend like an hour on the phone with our medical company being like, they need this many of this and this many of this. And like, it was just, it's so much work and I like can barely do it for myself and they were doing it for two kids. So yeah, that was, that was just really great. There were just so many things that they did that, you know, again, I think we took for granted. And now as an adult, I'm like, I don't do that. I may be good, but I just think back to like the efficiency and the processes that they helped implement in our home that just kept it, kept it going. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were literally part of our family. Like Joanne would like play with me and Cheryl would play with me. And like, they just, they became our friends, you know, they were, they were part of our family. So I think, I just think that's so, yeah, we had, we had a lot of people in our corner, but we always had a very full house. And I always wonder, you know, our friends came over and I think for a long time, they didn't really know who Joanne was, but it was just sort of like this person that's like our other grandmother. And I think people thought she was like our, like our nanny. Yeah. I don't that too. Like, yeah. So it's hard to explain, I guess, you know, when you're six and eight and, you know, even a teenager of like why all these people are in your home when you, you know, make things look really easy. But the reality is having those people in our home was why we were able to make it look easy. Yeah. So um, one thing that I did want to talk about in my story. So Mallory talked about how she used to give presentations at her school about our diagnosis. Um, And she had a Cabbage Patch Kid and I had an American Girl doll who had a central line. Um, And that was how I not only showed my classmates what I had going on, but it was also how I practiced um, learning how to take care of it. Um, Changing my dressing and changing my, the cannula and getting hooked up and unhooked safely. But so I would do presentations like every year to teach my classmates about it. And one year um, there was a new girl and she had been there one year when I gave a presentation 
and the following year said something along the lines of, are you going to give that presentation every year? And I just remember like, it was like an out of body experience. I was like, well, I don't have to. And like, I don't even remember the rest of the conversation, but it was just like, oh, okay. I guess, I guess I won't then. Um, it, it gets me really like anxious talking about it. Cause like from then on, like I didn't connect with anybody at my school, which was really weird. But well, yeah. and one of the big components that we talked a little bit about on the last episode is my physical repercussions and sort of the more visible part of my disability that because of what I went through with the selenium deficiency, you don't have. And I'm wondering if you could sort of share more about like that perspective, because I think that is one of the reasons our paths have been so different is that people look at me and they know whether they know why or the true condition, they know there's something going on. Mm -hmm. And I know that's been really different for you. Yeah. So I think like you might've heard the term like invisible illness. And I think that's kind of what I dealt with. So um, my mom, my parents, but my mom specifically was really good about advocating for what we needed um, in and out of the classroom. And she was also really good at helping us balance like academics and also having a life outside of school. And if that meant that like we had to get our TPN during the day, so we would be free to do stuff at night. Like she was really good about advocating for that to happen. Um, and Mel and I were both really good students, like consistently. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but like I took grades really, really personally. Like if I got a B, I was like, it was the end of the world, which is so silly to think about now that I'm like in grad school, like barely getting well, by. But. I also want to add that Nana and Papa used to pay us for the A's that we got. That's why. So we were very incentivized our entire lives. Oh, Nana and Papa, perpetuating the myth of meritocracy from the beginning. Um, yeah, so that makes sense. So anyway, I remember school was pretty much okay. Like, I, th I think I was kind of annoying. Like, I was very boisterous. I did theater. I danced everywhere. I hugged everyone. Like, I'm sure, looking back, I was just a lot. And that's fine. Um, so come middle school, things got icky. Um, and so I, oh God, I was like 13, which was just a horrible year for pretty much everyone. And I was doing a play. I was in the secret garden and it, I was the lead and it was really draining. Like it was a lot of work. There were a lot of late rehearsals. Um, and I really had to stay on top of my health. And sometimes that meant coming in late, leaving early, like, you know, missing school. And I worked my butt off to get all of the assignments that I needed, do all of the projects, like make sure everything was turned in and communicate with my teachers to make sure I didn't like miss anything. And there was one teacher and I had, it was like a solar system project or something. And I asked, I remember, like I asked her 
is there anything else that I'm missing? And there was this huge project that she had told me nothing about. And I was like, well, if I do it, can I still pass? And I don't, I don't even remember. I was horribly upset about it. Mom was horribly upset about it. Basically, I ended the class with like a D or something that I've never gotten in my entire life. Weren't you also anemic at the time? Was it not one of the things that you were really trying to juggle? So even just doing the show was a lot and you were trying to sort of balance all of those things and advocate and it just wasn't well received. Because I think that was one of the things where you were, it was a lot for you to do school and the activity and so mom was, was, mom and you were doing a lot of advocating and it just was not sort of well-received. Yeah, so basically this teacher just wasn't responsive to at our communication. Like I tried, and this was, I think this was eighth grade. I was 12 or 13, so that would make sense. Um, and I tried, like I was at a point in my life where I was trying really hard to advocate for myself and it was not working. And then at the same time, um, there were rumors going around that I was faking, that I had the whole school wrapped around my finger, um, that I was just doing things for attention. So it was just, it's, that's one of the downs, like, I guess one of the upsides or the pros of having an invisible illness is that you can sort of, um, choose when and how you want to disclose your situation and to what extent um but also it there's this sort of um doubt that comes along with it and it's almost gaslighting i think i used that term in our last episode too but honestly um it makes you question like oh maybe i'm i'm not as sick as i'm i'm acting like maybe i am you know maybe i am fine, not fine, but, um, you know, maybe I, I don't need this accommodation or, or something like that. So, yeah. Well, and all of this makes me so, so angry because I remember all of this and I was in, I was in college at the time and I would come home on the weekends, you know, to, to be there with you. And I just remember everything and it was so frustrating, but the really frustrating piece is that it was the same teachers that rolled out the red carpet for me. Yeah. And it was so frustrating the way that people, the way that people came together for me, like I talked about in the last episode, is the way that people came together to gang up against you. Yes. And it was so bananas to watch. And I think a big part of that is people truly thought that you were quote unquote, like riding on my coattails that you did, that I had this disability and this illness, but because of your physical condition being different, that you were just trying to get the same treatment that I did yeah. and that it wasn't, it wasn't authentic. Yeah which is so gross. It's so gross. Like it makes me so angry. And like looking back, um, in hindsight, it really, really affected me. Like we don't like to think that what happens to us as children, like 
affects us. Like I know I've heard a lot of people be like, oh, you won't remember that in five years, but stuff like that stays with you. Like I, so I lost a lot of friends that year. I went from having like fitting in with like most of the girls in my class to like being very much on the outskirts to the point where like I didn't feel like I had anyone and like the barn and the theater were my sanctuaries like I didn't want to go to school I had stomach aches I stayed home as much as I could like it was it was traumatic like I know that sounds you know hyperbolic to say but um it really it it really affected me and um so I know we'll talk about higher education in a separate episode completely because it's so um you know, it's its own beast. Um, but yeah, I basically left that school system. I ended up going to private school for two years. Um, but I, I was thinking more about how it affected my identity as somebody with a chronic illness, because when you have an invisible illness, it almost makes you not want to own that part of you. And it wasn't until college when I had a therapist there who was amazing and she said, it doesn't have to be all of you, but it is a part of you. And I had tried since, pretty much since middle school, to just put that part of me aside. And I was like, you know what? Like, I don't have to talk about it. People don't have to know about it. It's not something I am proud of. It's not, it's not, it's just not anything, you know? Like, I never really paid attention to it. And like, looking back, like, I think because. I was made to feel ashamed of it and I was made to feel like a liar and an attention seeker and it's so icky but yeah that was it was the same town the same school district that that Mal grew up in and it was just yeah it was not a not a great time so I don't know like it's it's weird I know this was about a lot of things more than just like my childhood but I think all of those things are super interconnected and like even doing this now like i feel like i've sort of reached a milestone where i have allowed my diagnosis my illness whatever to be a part of my life and to be a part of my story and it's you know it's been yeah i think i think we'll talk more about like identity and and community and things like that but um yeah i think it's important to know whereas mallory's story was more about um, the medical side of things and engaging the community. My, mine is sort of about, you know, when you don't look like there's something wrong with you and when people don't necessarily believe you and, and how you have to sort of overcome that side of things. So it's, we have had two very different journeys, but, um, I think, you know, looking back, our family navigated both of them, how, how they needed to and, and did what they had to do to make sure we could, do the things that we wanted to do, you know? So I think, and I'm still, you know, I'm still a pretty good student. I just finished one of my, you know, one of my semesters in grad school and did okay in that. So um, I don't think I let, I let that one teacher get to me, but, but it sure was a bummer. Mom even made a muffins. Like we had a 504 meeting. She would always bring muffins and they were like, oh yeah, this is great. And then I was like, hey, help me. And they were like, mm, nope. So I don't I'll, know. I'll Venmo you a dollar, Maisie, for the A you just got in your class to keep up their tradition. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, that'll go towards the 
crippling debt that I have acquired. So I think, I think on the next episode, we can get more into the education piece and the, the theme of identity will be one that is carried through every episode. And I sort of was like, oh, we could do a whole episode about this. But I think it's just the theme of how we have evolved as humans and how our diagnosis has played a, a different part, you know, as we get older and, and sort of found our way in the world. So I hope that we can continue the conversation. And thanks everyone for listening as we sort of covered a lot of territory in this episode. But again, you know, there are complex issues and our journeys have been very different, but keep following and we hope that you will tune in to future episodes and find us on social media. Our Instagrams are in the bio for this podcast. And with that, thanks for tuning in.